0: Well, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Matthew, and if you're just joining us, we have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount uh, this fall, and we've continued it through um, these last three weeks in Advent, now our final week in Advent. And this was intentional, Um, and so as we look at this final section to conclude Jesus' sermon, um, this is where we will leave it, and I think it's very appropriate to be Ending this series um, on Christmas Eve, and I hope that that becomes somewhat clear as we um, get, through the, get through this. So with that, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word found in the book of Matthew, chapter 7. This will be verses 24 to 28. 24 to 28. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. and great was the fall of it. Verse 28, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. And we pray that you would graciously... Give us your Spirit to open our eyes and our ears. We ask that you would uh, allow us to see and hear things otherwise we could not, um, that we would grow and change into your likeness, that we would be lovers of the things that you love because we love you. Would you do that work in us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not sure if you've ever said this before or had somebody say it to you, but it, it sort of goes like this, and in this tone. Um, I, th- I thought you loved me. I thought you loved me. Um, I'm not sure what time of year this was, and, and 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 probably because I have, and Ada as well, pushed it so far out of our memory. Um, we, we dare not speak of it even, but I'll speak of it this, this, this morning. Um, we, we got a package in the mail. It could have been near Christmas. We'll just say it's around Christmas. And it was signed to our kids who were all at this point in time, it's the only thing I remember, somewhere under the age of six and seven. So that's kind of important. And it was a package, and it seemed to be addressed to them from my dad, who doesn't often do this. And so how exciting to get this package. And for it to be addressed to them. And so they opened it only to find that my dad had wrapped up and sent to them each their own tambourine. Now, I blame myself. I blame myself. I do. I should have checked it first. And that was, the, that, was the, that was the lesson that I learned the hard way and ate as well. We had a symphony in our house for the next several days, a symphony of tambourines. Uh, The next day, my parents called, and of course, my dad, with a little bit of the laughter that you can hear on the other end of the phone and the grin, wanted to know if we got his package. And I said, Dad, I thought you loved me. I thought you loved me. Um, Maybe you have a time in your life when someone has given you a gift or made a meal, and it was a food that, that, that you despise, and they knew it. Yet still, they made it for you, and your words are just sort of tongue in cheek. I thought you loved me. When we say this, right, tambourines and all, what we mean is that your actions, right, say something about, well, whether you love me or not. And we can sort of be joking, right? I don't question my dad's love for me. Um, but it, 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 it does speak to something about relationship, about knowing somebody, and that the more that we know that person and know about that person, we then become doers of the things that they love, such that to cross that, as it were, right, like sending tambourines to a bunch of six-year-olds and the younger, uh, is to ask the question, do you even know who I am? Do you love me? Well, this is how Jesus ends his sermon. It, it is no good... Just to be hearers of his words, disciples must do them. They must execute. And it is the final choice in this section going all the way back to verse 13 of chapter 7. It is the final choice of, of to hear or ignore. The final cho- choice of to hear or to do. Which will you choose? Because based on that decision, it says a lot about what we think about this king. Right? It says a lot about where our hearts are. That we would be doers of the words of Jesus, not because we want his love, not because we want to be in his good grace. We already are. We become doers of his words because this is actually what communicates to him that we love him. And this is where he leaves it. And this is where we will leave it too. Don't just hear my words. Be doers of my words, because in doing, you will show that you love me. We'll look at this text, and we'll see that, but we'll also see two things as well. We'll see that it's just simply wise, as you've heard throughout the service, to do the words and the teachings of Jesus. There's a practical component to it, if you will. Um, We'll also see that We should be doers of Jesus' words because he is the only refuge in this life. But lastly, we will see that to do the words of Jesus is how we say that we love and how we show that we love this king. So let's look at that in that order. First, it is just wise. It's wise to be doers of his words. Look at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Of course, this person built their house on the rock, but everyone who hears the words and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. What is the parable saying? Well, both of these people in this parable have actually heard the words of Christ. They've heard what he has said. They are both hearers. Only one of them, though, has actually made his words a part of their own life in doing them and carrying them out. That is the person who obviously builds their house on this foundation of rock. The other who hears but does not do them, does not commit their life to carrying out the teachings of Jesus, has truly acted in a way that is comparable to building a house on sand. And why? Well, because the words of Jesus are true, and they're good, and they're right. And as we've seen even throughout this sermon, but of course in other areas of Scripture, they are the words of life. To ignore what is true and to ignore what is life-giving by any stretch of the imagination is certainly foolish. It would be like deciding to jump out of an airplane without a parachute. Right? That's just not good advice at that point to, to take the parachute if you're going to do this. Right? That is a life or death situation. And this is actually the weight of Jesus' words here in the end. I would suggest that this is a harder text than maybe we even give it credit for what he is saying. Because he is saying to hear his words and not do them leads to death. It leads to the destruction. It's the same thing with the gate. It's the same thing with the fruit that you bear. It's the same thing with whether or not he knows you because you have offered your life to him as well. It's the relationship. But to hear and to do them, which is to own them as your own, and not just offer lip service to the king, that is wise. It is wise in the way that good foundations are wise for standing on and for building upon. We know that foundations are important. We don't have to go get engineering degrees and architecture degrees to know that they're important. But we're thankful for the people who do to go make our great, wonderful foundations. But if the foundation isn't right, right, it can be the greatest structure ever envisioned and it can be the most beautiful thing. But if the foundation isn't right, right, then then the structure will not hold when they built the One World Trade Center in New York City after 9-11, uh, the Foundation core did some Googling this week. Listen to this. The Foundation core is 110 feet under the ground. In other words, by the time they actually begin construction on what you see as the building, there's a 110-foot structure, another building completely under the ground, right? No one wants to be on the 100th floor of that building wondering or learning that there is no foundation, that, 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 that the foundation of this building begins at street level. No, instead, when they hear that there's actually another building essentially tying this to the ground, what does that do? That gives us good confidence to know that we're standing on something that will hold us. But it's not just about standing on something that will hold us. It's also about investment, too. What are we building and, and and it's knowing that the foundation can actually handle what it is that we are investing and building upon. Right? Would anyone take their resources, your hard-earned money, as it were, and invest it in building your dream home in a floodplain? I know we live near D.C. Don't answer that question that way. But right, you know what I'm saying, right? It, it, we become we become good skeptics when we start moving in directions that that require our money buying houses or whatever it is and cars and stuff right cuz we don't we don't want to make a silly decision we would never invest in a sure loss this is what he's getting at it's both and it, it can hold up the structure right it can give you confidence for life but it's also something that you can say look this will last what, I, what it is that i'm building therefore jesus is saying essentially that hearing And doing, again, this is about doing, it's carrying out these words, is then like building on a foundation that is 110 feet under the surface. It's wise. You can trust standing in it. But also what you build on it will last. Right? This is the treasures in heaven. What you build on it will last. And why? Because Jesus truly is that way, the way to life. So it's wise. But second, we see here in the text that it's not just wise. We actually see that Jesus is the only refuge in this life. Jesus is the only refuge in this life. Part of the reason it is wise to be hearers and doers of Jesus' words as he finishes this Sermon on the Mount and this build on this foundation that lasts is because storms will come. And I know that can kind of be a, a cliche saying and, in the church, perhaps, but it's actually in the text this morning, and we need to give a listen to it. It's a subtle point, but storms are coming, and they will come for Jesus' disciples. Verse 25, and then the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house. That's like four or five different storms going on there. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Yes, storms are coming. And we often think about this in, uh, you know, in, in kind of three categories, as, as Scripture might allude to and talk about the storms of life. And the first category is, is maybe it's that catastrophic event that you're praying doesn't happen to you. Or that perhaps has, right? A loss of a, of a job or someone in your family has gotten cancer and they have died. Maybe your parents got divorced. Those are, those are in one sense the catastrophic storms that we think of that that, that do come into this life. For Jesus' disciples, they will face the storm of persecution and trial just like Jesus did. This is what's coming for them. All right, but then there's the 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 sort of the spiritual, the greater storm that scripture points to, which is the storm of final judgment. And again, if you've been following with us, a lot about judgment in this last section. But this is probably what Jesus has in mind here. How will you stand in the final storm, as it were, the final judgment of life before God? And this is where the spiritual foundation of the gospel meets us and says to us, unless what? Unless you're standing on the rock. And that is, there's an article next to that Greek word, Petros, Unless you're standing on Jesus, you will not stand. It is what Psalm 1 refers to, saying essentially, who will stand in the judgment? Who will be counted among the congregation of the righteous? And it's only those who are what? In Christ by faith alone. That's the gospel. Who are counted among the righteous, who can stand in the judgment. And why? Because only Christ can and does stand in the judgment. And only Christ is worthy to be found righteous among the congregation. This is the gospel, and so belief in him is actually putting your life on a foundation that will hold up in, shall I say, life's biggest storms. Both your catastrophic events, but but the ultimate storm that Jesus entered this world to rescue you from, the storm of impending judgment that is coming for those who are not hid in him. Lastly, though, it's not just the, the big storms that hit or the final judgment that we should pay attention to here in view. I'll just go ahead and say and you can probably say, "Amen to this, every day, friends, is a storm of sorts. Every day, every day has its battles. Every day is pulling on you in subtle or not-so-subtle ways, which means that every day requires a foundation that is, as the Old Testament referred to, and as we've already read in our service, a refuge. I want us to hear the words of David in Psalm 31. There's plenty of places in the Psalms that speak of this, but listen to this, and listen to the interchange of rock and refuge. He says, "'In you, O Lord, do I take refuge.'" Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me. A strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your namesake, you lead me and you guide me. And you take me out of the net they have hidden from me. For you are my refuge. Being human... In a fallen world, whether you're a believer or not here this morning, means that every day is a storm. And yes, some are worse than others. What Jesus is saying, and what he has been saying throughout this entire sermon, is there is only one refuge. There's only one foundation able to sustain you, both in the judgment, but friends, whatever life throws at you, and it's your actions, right, coming back to what we are talking about. It's your actions, what you do or don't do, actually, that are pointing to what that refuge truly is in your life. And so there's a part here where we, as we've been doing as well, examine ourselves here. What, what is my refuge? What, what is the doing in my life, right, pointing to as the place that I go when these things hit? All of us have a refuge. We all have a place we go to for life when life is challenging. And the invitation here, the decision that all hearers of Jesus' would-be disciples must make is what will it be? And perhaps more importantly, who will it be? Because just like we say you will worship something, another way to say that is you will find rest in something, which is to say you will find refuge in that thing. And all of us find refuge in something. You are looking for refuge in something. Is it a rock or is it sand? See, Jesus is saying build your life on anything else, right? Build it on a philosophy. B- build it on relationships. Build it on wealth. Not only will it not hold up in the end, but this, is the, uh, this, is, this comes back to the wisdom part of it, right? It leads to emptiness, it leads to emptiness. It leads to loss because nothing other than Jesus, again, offers the way to life. Nothing else can hold up under the weight of your needs, but certainly your wants, both your immediate needs, but more importantly, your spiritual, your eternal needs. No spouse can satisfy another 100%, 100% of the time. What it means to be married is to be able to say, Yeah, I know that's true. No job can give you value or worth the way that you will ask it to. And no amount of wealth can last and keep you from what life brings, from what is coming for us all. All of this, all of this is in this sermon all of us have a refuge. We all have a place we go for life when life is challenging. What is it? Who is it? And Jesus is calling his disciples to him as their refuge. Be doers of his words, not just hearers of them, that we may know too. He is our rock. Well, we've seen that we should be doers of his words because it is wise. And we've seen that we should be doers of his words because he is our refuge. Certainly when storms come. But lastly, being doers of his words is how we show that we love him. It's how we show we love him. So far, we have listed very practical things here, right? We've listed very practical reasons to obey but here's the thing about practicality. It hardly and rarely engages your heart. It can be practical for practical sake, but it hardly and rarely ever engages our hearts. There must be a deeper why than just it's practical, right? There must be a deeper why behind being doers and not just hearers of Jesus' Jesus's words, and there is, and it's actually him saying, this is how you show you love me. This is how you show that you love me. And that, along with the practical wisdom, right, and along with a refuge in life storms is what Jesus is asking in his final words. Do you love me? Will you carry out these words? If so, if you love me, great, prove it. Do them. Don't just be hearers. But be doers. We often, as reformed people, get a little nervous when the, the pastor starts talking about doing things. So let's just be clear we're not talking about salvation here. Salvation is by grace alone. I've right? been preaching that every Sunday. Um, so you can, put, you can discard that email you're already working on in your mind. Salvation is by grace of the Lord. We can even say, look, the world, right, the gospel of the world says, right, go do things in order to be loved. But Jesus says, you are loved, go do. And that's the order. That's the context in which we talk about this, in which Jesus is landing the plan of his own sermon here, saying, if you love me, prove it. Be doers of my words, not just hearers. In fact, we hear this throughout all, the God, all, all of the New Testament. Jesus in the Gospel of John, for example, will say, if you love me, what? You will keep my commandments. I don't like that verse, but it's there. And that's what he means. If you love me, prove it. Uh, sort of in the way that we think about our own relationships with people. It's not a works-based salvation is the point. It's a relationship that he is speaking of. Jesus is saying to you, do you love me? And then show it. It is the same that we would ask of any dear friend, any spouse, right? Jesus, though, is no different. And that's what he is saying to his disciples in this final teaching. And that's what he is saying to us. Yes, Jesus is teaching they are wise, and they are for your good. They are practical. They are the way to life, right? Belief in him brings you so many blessings and benefits, namely salvation. But do not do them, dare I say, for those reasons. Do them because you love Jesus. In fact, don't be a doer for any other reason than you love him. Because this is actually the secret to avoiding the wrong gate back in thirteen. Or producing bad fruit back in verse 17. Or more importantly, ever hearing the words, I never knew you. In verse 23, do you love me? Be doers of my words, not hearers. This is the ultimate choice. This is the ultimate test for Jesus' disciples as he finishes his sermon. The call to love the king by doing what he loves. And this is where we're going to land the plane. And this is where we're going to end it. Do you love me? Jesus asks. Don't be hearers of my words, be doers. Well, let me give you just a couple of things to think about in light of the sermon to take away with you, for, to, for you to take away this, this morning. Because it'd be right to ask, well, where do I start? What, is it, what, what does this mean? And great questions. Let me just ask, offer these two. Do you love the Sermon on the Mount? Do you love the Sermon on the Mount? And I, forgive me for those that are just joining us this morning, but we've been looking at this since September, and I would encourage anybody to go back and read, and certainly those that have been with us since September, go back and read chapter 5 to 7. Do you love this? And I don't mean love it in the sense that, um, you know, it's easy <laughs> and, uh, you know, it— Really enjoyable, or I agree with it. I mean, do you love it because it is what Jesus loves and that matters to you? Do you love it because the more you read it and the more you understand it, the more you see and know your King? Do you see that this, the sermon, as a snapshot of who he is. He is meek. He is merciful. He is the ultimate peacemaker. He is the righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees and scribes. Do you love that about him? Do you love poverty of spirit? So that you can cry out for that righteousness. Do you love the Sermon on the Mount? Because it's how we begin to know more and more about who Jesus is. Love for Jesus, dare I say, is the real fruit of the kingdom. It is the fruit that houses all our fruits of this kingdom. Do you love him? Do you love the Sermon on the Mount? Second, though. Are you doers of Jesus' words even when you do not agree with them? Are you doers of Jesus' words even when you do not agree with them? In other words, Jesus says a lot of things, and he's going to continue to say a lot of things. And because all of the word of, of Scripture comes from him, we could, we could just say all of Scripture says a lot of things that we may not agree with, right? And we all know that, that it, is, it is easier to do the things that we agree with. I am all for do not murder. We read that. I'm sure you are too. And because we agree, it is easier to carry those things out. But what about when he says, love your enemies? Whoever that might be for you. In whatever context, he might call you to do that. However, you might think that they are wrong and you are right. Does he cease to be king for you in that moment? See, this is really the test of discipleship, of of love of Christ, when we submit to his words, even when we disagree with them. We find them difficult. If I do something for you because it is convenient for me, you still might thank me. But if you call me up in that third Saturday in the fall in September when I'm watching Tennessee play Florida, and it's the biggest football game for me that fall, And you still, eyes glazed over, don't know why that's important to me, but that's okay. And you say, Ryan, I need help. I need you to come to my house and do something for me. And I do it? That matters a little more. Right? It carries more weight. We know what it is like to be in a relationship with those who only do things for us when it is convenient for them. Or when they agree with us. Versus when it is truly sacrificial. And what Jesus is asking is, do you love me even when it is not convenient for you? Even when it is sacrificial, when it requires you to do something that crosses the very thing that you want to do. Doriani puts it this way. He says, most Americans see ethics from a Judeo-Christian perspective. They gladly follow biblical rules because they seem like common sense. They describe the way we do things. It is a blessing to agree with the word of the Lord, no doubt. But agreement does not test us much. The test of loyalty, the test of our submission to the Lord, comes when his will, what, crosses ours. We truly obey. We truly submit to God whenever we obey a command that requires painful or strange actions. You know why every day is a storm? Because it is a painful and strange action to live as becomes a follower of Jesus daily. As he bends our will to his. But friends, it is the way to life abundantly. Are you doers of Jesus' words, especially when you do not agree with them? Is there a time in your life that you can really point to that, that following Jesus actually costs you something Because he is truly king in your life. This is how we show our love for him. This is how we show our love for him. We don't send him tambourines, as it were. We don't ignore what he loves. We don't pay him lip service. We aren't just hearers of his words. He asks us to be doers of his words. It is his final question to his disciples. Do you love me? And should we forget before we finish that while Jesus leaves us here with a choice to make, he doesn't leave us wondering which choice that he has made about us. Does Jesus love you? If you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard that answer your entire life. Yes, he does. How do you know he loves you? Does he just tell you he loves you? Or is he a doer? Did he prove his love for you? And the answer is yes, certainly in taking on flesh, but all the way, all the way to that rugged cross. So that whether you believe in him or not, right, you know where he stands and you know what he offers. And Christmas, the wonderful time of year that we are experiencing now, That is such a great reminder that Jesus did not pay you lip service. He came down. And he came down that he might meet your greatest request, your greatest need. I said last week that Jesus came down to be in relationship with you. But he also came down so that you would have no doubt that he loves you. Dare I say, he came down so that he wouldn't just be a hearer of your greatest needs and wants, but that he would be, what, a doer of them, that the way of life might be opened to you. So that you might know what? That he loves you. May he give us the grace to respond the same to our gracious King. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for these words, these words of life, and not just here in the Sermon on the Mount, but in all of Scripture. Would we be reminded that you love us, that we don't do things for you because This is how we earn your love. We do them to show our love. And would that matter to us more today than it did yesterday? Would you give us the grace to live that out? And when we get tired, when we fail, as we will, would we remember our poverty of spirit? Would we remember our mourning, our our repenting? Would we remember our meekness that leads to hunger and thirst? for a righteousness that truly satisfies, which comes only from you. Would you do this for your glory, we pray. Amen.